The Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association presents Top of the Stretch, a podcast that looks at harness racing in the Buckeye State. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Top of the Stretch. I'm Frank Fraz, Outreach and Public Relations Coordinator for the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association. And joining me today on Top of the Stretch is Dr. Teresa Burns, an Associate Professor of Equine Internal Medicine at the Ohio State University Veterinary Medical Center. And Dr. Burns, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, Frank, it's a pleasure to be with you. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Well, great. First, I, I hope you and your family and the staff at Ohio State are all doing well during this time of crisis. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a strange time. It's a different time. But yes, thanks for asking. We're all doing well. Um, we're trying to get through one day at a time and keep horses and people healthy in the process here. Well, good. Well, my first question to, to, to you today, though, relates to horses and the COVID-19 virus. When we first started hearing about the virus, it was said there was no transmission between humans and animals. But then we get the report from the Bronx Zoo that a tiger at the zoo contracted the virus from one of its handlers. Is this an isolated case or are we now starting to see evidence of transmission between humans and animals? What is the update? This, that's a, a very good question, and you know, in this time of uncertainty, this is this is really a an important area of uncertainty because um, at the initial onset uh, of all of this of all this uh, disease in the United States, there was indeed no real good evidence that disease could be transmitted to people from our from our domestic animals, from pets, and from other livestock that that people keep. Um, there have been some reports since then that uh, domestic cats. And this this wild field at the Bronx Zoo can be um, can be affected can be infected with the the virus that causes COVID-19. And so you know we're modifying our recommendations just a little bit, um, particularly here at the the veterinary hospital and other hospitals, um, to try and minimize potential transmission from domestic animals to to people. As far as horses go, there's still no evidence that horses can be infected um, and transmit the virus that causes COVID-19 um, either between themselves or from them to people. There's no evidence of that. However, horses do have their own coronavirus. Um, equine coronavirus is a disease that's been pretty well characterized in horses now. Um, it typically causes um, anywhere from fever of unknown origin to, to diarrhea usually in horses. Um, that's not the same thing as COVID-19, but just to be clear, horses do get another type of coronavirus. All right. Another question of uncertainty is the issue looming down the road of how are people going to be able to feed their horses and setting up, you know, a feed program uh, within their budget. You, you told me earlier that you've been receiving calls about this. That's correct. So we've, we've already had people who are starting to, to rework their budgets and do the math. And they're seeing some looming, some looming shortfalls uh, coming down, coming down the pike, just with changes in their own own work status, um, family budget status, and so they're asking questions about the, how potentially they might be able to more economically manage um, the feeding status of horses that are that they have under their care. And you know, the good news is there are a lot of ways that people can can utilize resources that are already at their at their disposal potentially. To feed horses more economically, and we would recommend starting with uh, a thorough evaluation of what's going in to those horses. And so, um, it's important to know that unless you're dealing with really high-performance uh, animals, race horses, uh, sport horses, uh, lactating broodmares, 
Many horses that are in either minimal or light work can be managed um, with a forage-based diet alone, um, plus or minus a trace, a trace vitamin mineral supplement. And so sometimes people can, can start by reevaluating their forage. Um, as far as forage options go, um, sometimes leveraging available, um, available pasture is important. Um, sometimes that gets underutilized, but particularly now people can save an awful lot of money in their hay budget by trying to initiate uh, a, a rotating pasture schedule if they have, if they have that, that, that acreage available to them um, and uh, an appropriate number of horses. As far as hay goes, um, potentially trying to, even though it, it seems like a, um, a little bit, it's a little bit bigger outlay of, of, of finances at the beginning, but trying to buy hay in bulk actually is a very good idea to try and minimize um, the, the cost um, per ton uh, and minimize the number of times you have to buy it. So whether that means, um, coordinating with other horsemen in the area, with neighbors, um, and trying to purchase hay in bulk that way. Um, that's a way to potentially save some, save some money on forage. And then, of course, there's certainly other hay alternatives. Um, there's hay extenders, um, pelleted high-fiber feeds that, that usually contain soy products, um, legume forage, other kinds of digestible fibers that can kind of stretch, um, stretch people's hay resources a little bit. Um, beet pulp is another... Um, Fiber alternative for horses that sometimes is a reasonable way to add some more fiber to the diet without purchasing additional hay, particularly if it's been um, if there's been extenuating environmental circumstances that make hay more expensive in a particular year. And of course, hay cubes and pellets um, they usually are more expensive on a weight basis than baled hay. But um, what's kind of nice about those products is that horses tend to waste less, and so if you really get down to the amount of money you're spending on either hay or cubes or pellets, oftentimes based on the amount of waste for each individual product, it tends to be um, sometimes more economical to go with cubes or pellets, at least for a portion of the forage ration. So those are some ways that people can try to, to save some money uh, on the, the forage portion of their horse's diet, which if you're looking to keep horses healthy, keeping Forage is the, the primary component of their diet is the best way to do that. If a horse is turned out, is there a risk of them eating too much and becoming overweight? Yes, that's a very good question. And and particularly given a lot of the, the heavily improved uh, pastures that we have here, um, we have a lot of pastures around, um, particularly in the Midwest, that have been that have been improved for, for raising livestock. And some of these are, are very calorie dense, they're very high in non-structural carbohydrates, uh, sugars, starches, and fructans. And I'm looking out a window right now and seeing um, a field that is just bright green. It's, it's gotten that way over the last you know week or 10 days. And particularly right now when horses are potentially being turned out on pastures that they've not been conditioned to over the winter, um, there's a longer term risk of them overeating and becoming overconditioned. But even in the short term, before they have any change in condition, there's a risk of this um, really substantial change in the amount of, of sugars and starches in their diet that can upset their hindgut and potentially lead to, to things like uh, laminitis. So it's important when you're beginning to utilize pasture as a forage, and there's a lot of benefits to having horses out on pasture. There's, there's social benefits, they're, they're moving around, they're, they're, a little, they're behaving in a way that's more appropriate to the natural history of horses, but it's also uh, forage 
that you potentially don't have to invest an awful lot of money in to purchase, at least you know in the in the short term, and requires relatively little management potentially. Um, but they should be conditioned to it and have their the time on pasture slowly increased over about seven to ten days to allow their hindgut to accommodate that change in diet. Otherwise, you're right, that can lead to some big problems both in the short and in the long term. Is there a standard amount a horse should be eating to maintain a healthy diet, or is each horse different in their dietary needs? That's a very good question. And, you know, this is one of those questions that everyone always gives the answer. It depends. Um, but as a general rule, uh, most light breed horses will need somewhere between one and a half and 3% of their body weight in forage, on a dry matter basis anyway, per day to maintain both a healthy hindgut and to maintain their body weight. Um, horses that potentially have a propensity for gaining weight, they're very easy keepers, um, or if they need to lose some weight, might need to be closer to that one and a half percent of their body weight. Horses that are in heavy work, um, horses that are um, you know, undergoing some metabolically demanding circumstances like mares that are in mid-lactation, um, they might be closer to that two and a half or three percent of their body weight. Most horses find it difficult to consume more than about 3% of their body weight per day. So if a horse needs more calories than can be, can be supplied by a good quantity and quality forage um, than 3%, then they'll probably need some concentrate feed to, to address those caloric needs. But most horses that are either no work or very light work might not need supplemental calories in the form of concentrate feed. Um, they might be able to maintain their body weight just based on forage alone, and that's very healthy for their hindgut. You touched base earlier on performance horses, and with the race horses and the workload of training now being reduced for many of them because we are mm -hmm. not racing, how important is it to watch what those horses are eating, their calories, and having them maintain everything? Oh, that's that's an excellent point. And I'd say, you know, it's really easy to to forget that, especially when you have a, 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 you know, a large number of horses under your care and you have a lot of routines and things tend to become somewhat automatic as far as the daily routine goes. But if these horses aren't in work, um, at, at the very least, um, they really don't need those calories. And you're right, they can start to accrue body weight. If you have uh, more ins than outs, if you will, metabolically speaking, these horses will start to gain some weight if they're not in work. Um, on a from a medical perspective, there actually are some diseases, some of which are common in in race horses, that can be exacerbated by minimizing uh, the amount of exercise and keeping sugars and starches at a high level in the diet. And the one that comes to mind is horses that have a tendency to tie up. Um, that actually will make that worse in a lot of cases if you disrupt their exercise routine and continue to feed them. The, the same kinds of rations that they get when they're in active training and racing, um, that those are risk factors for, for predisposing them to episodes of tying up. And so for for a lot of reasons, you're right, their diet should be should be modified um, based on their amount, the amount of work that they're doing. So yep, we'd recommend backing off if they're not getting regular work. Along those lines, human athletes take a lot of supplements. What about for yeah. the equine athletes as well? Is that something that should be backed off if they're taking them, or are there supplements that could help them during this time? Sure. That's a that's a very good question. And when you're talking about trying to, to economically feed horses during this time of uncertainty, the very first thing, I think, to, to really start to look at 
are the supplements that horses are getting. Because particularly if they're not in any heavy work, um, some of the supplements that horses receive, whether they're commercial or people make them themselves um, from various components, a lot of them have nutritional components that are redundant to each other. And so this is where uh, an equine nutritionist or a, your veterinarian can be very helpful for trying to identify um, some, some areas that, that potentially you might be able to safely cut back on supplements. Most horses, if they're not doing heavy work, are able to, to really thrive on a forage-based diet with a vitamin and mineral supplement added to balance out what, what usually is deficient in hay. And so there's a lot of, most feed companies will have some sort of a protein and trace vitamin and mineral supplement that can be fed on a, a very small volume basis per day, a half a pound or a pound per horse per day. That's usually more than enough to maintain horses in either no or light work um, for, you know, for them to maintain their body weight and to thrive on that. So many times the supplements that we give, particularly if they're not doing the, those heavy types of work anymore, um, they're not necessarily needed and might be a way to potentially contract down and be economical about feeding horses in the short term. Looking down the road as we increase the workload of these horses, as hopefully we see the light at the end of the tunnel and can start racing soon, Talk about mm -hmm. the importance of ramping up for them and not just full go right away. Absolutely. Oh, this is a this is a very, very important point. So horses, you know, both from an exercise perspective and from a diet perspective, they usually tolerate taking things away acutely very well. They don't tolerate big additions, either in workload or in, in particularly in sugars and starches in the diet over the short term, they don't tolerate those additions very well, and those can really lead to some pretty serious disease states. And so their workload, if it's, back, it's been backed off for weeks to potentially some months, it's very important to get them back up to their regular workload over about five to six, maybe even eight weeks, uh, to make sure they're properly conditioned for it. And the same thing for their diet. So anytime that we're considering adding uh, a, a feed component um, that contains a decent amount of sugars and starches, and that includes this spring pasture that we talked about earlier, we'd recommend doing that very, very carefully and over, over a seven to 10 day, sometimes two week period of time to make sure that their hindgut is well conditioned to that, to that sugar and starch um, so that doesn't, they don't end up with some, some serious um, hindgut dysbiosis and potentially risk of, of laminitis and colic, which are the two things that we get worried about when we start to add those kinds of components to the diet of a horse. So yes, taking your time, keeping the target in mind and having a very graded steady approach to increasing both exercise and workload and, and dietary non-structural carbohydrate, very important. Is there a place uh, for resources that horsemen can go to to find out more information about this? Absolutely. So there are a couple of places where horsemen can go to find information about, uh, about how to feed horses economically during times of economic uncertainty, about how to manage spring pasture, about how to manage exercise programs, etc. Um, the American Association of Equine Practitioners is a fantastic resource. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for somewhere to go online, if you happen to have some free time and are looking, but of course, we certainly recommend that people keep conversations and lines of communi communication open with their, their regular veterinarian that takes care of their horses for them. They'll know the back history. They'll know those horses for them, and they'll be able to answer questions and provide also some guidance of additional resources and information um, to try and answer some of these questions that come up. Any other advice, information, or suggestions you'd like to share? 
Oh, you know, I'm not sure I have any other advice or suggestions other than we're all in this together. Um, try and uh, try and stay positive and, and focused on the future. The end is in sight at some point, and we'll all get through this uh, if we if we if we keep each other in mind and help each other. And here at the Ohio State University, we're we're here 24/7 still. We're we're still um, trying to help horsemen and people get through these problems together. So um, we're one phone call away. So feel free to call. Dr. Burns, I'd like to thank you for your time today and joining me on Top of the Stretch, and best wishes to you, your family, and the entire staff over at Ohio State. Stay safe. Oh, likewise to you too, Frank. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association.